at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, January 29th, 2024 edition of Invest Talk. And it is Monday. That means Luke is back with us. Thanks for being here, Luke. Thanks for having me, Justin. And we are excited for this hour with you to help you become a better investor. There's a lot to unpack in this wild and ever-changing investing environment. And what happened last year is in the past. It's not about the past. It's about investing through the windshield, not the rearview mirror. And that's what we're here to help you do, to assess the landscape that's in front of you and make the best decisions with your money. Now, to accomplish this, we have a mix of educational and actionable material to touch on today. And of course, most importantly, your contributions in the form of questions and comments. Always an important part of the podcast. And on this podcast, we'll be providing useful finance and investment data along with our unbiased perspective developed over 20 plus years of investment experience. Now, we're going to talk about the market performance today as well as run down some show topics. But right after we answer our first caller question now. Hi, I love the show. I'm calling today about CBOE, Global Market, ticker symbol CBOE. We held it short-term, up nicely, about 35 40%. I'm wondering if you think I should trim some or hold on to it, maybe play a, put a tight stop on it. If you can let me know, maybe take a quick look at the fundamental, that would be great. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. All right, looking at CBOE Global Marketplace. And for everybody else out there, they operate a global options exchange. This is Chicago Board of Options Exchange. That's what CBOE stands for. I've actually been there, Luke. Have you ever been to the CBOE? I have never been to the CBOE, no. I did I've been to the Los Angeles Old Stock Exchange, though. Uh, Haven't we all? Haven't we all? (laughs) Well, the CBOE is um, an interesting place. At least I went there. Back in, I was a, I was in high school, so this was in the '90s. So um, it was an interesting place to to visit. Uh, my family's from Chicago, so it was uh, it, w- it was part of that with a, part of a trip with my grandfather. So that was pretty cool. But uh, you know, with the rise of options markets and activity, especially post pandemic, their business has boomed. Business has boomed. It was trading at one hundred twenty dollars per share to, when the pandemic started. Dipped into the pandemic and then rallied from a low of around, what was that, $75 per share. Now we're at 183 Earnings are set to make an all-time high this year of $8.35. And Luke, analysts continue to upgrade those earnings. But the stock has ran and revenue growth has slowed now. Negative 9% last quarter year over year. 
seems a little rich at these levels with growth reversing in my mind. I tend to agree. It is a little bit rich. You know, they came out of a little bit of a slump from mid 2022 to mid 2023 in terms of their profitability and their cash flow certainly has dipped since the pandemic. As you mentioned, everybody on Wall Street bets and their mother were probably trading in options. Business was booming. But I just look at the the next 12 months price to earnings and that's at about 22.2 relative to its five year average of around 19.9. That's including the boom during the pandemic years. So, you know, they have earnings coming up in February on February 2nd. The collar was up 30 to 40%. It looks to me like this is a good point to trim. I certainly wouldn't be adding anymore, but like I always say, nobody ever went broke taking some profits. Yeah. And from a technical perspective, it does look like it's losing a bit of momentum. You're getting a MACD cross. You got that already on the weekly and you're getting a MACD divergence on the daily as well. So these are indicators that the recent strength is not very powerful. Uh, and after a large run, you know, that's the first sign that the run is petering out a bit. And it doesn't mean it has to go down 40, 50% or anything like that. A 10, 15% pullback of an in name like this would be a normal refresh, you know, getting back into, say, the 160s. Uh, and I, I wouldn't be surprised post earnings to see something like that especially like you said, the, the multiples are relatively elevated. So uh, I'm going to give this one, uh, or the answer simply here is I, I do think it is a good time to uh, trim into those earnings uh, and, and lighten up just a bit. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover in the next 40 minutes or so. And time permitting, we're going to touch on everything. One is our main focus point, and that is in concerns the topic of the FTC and launching an AI inquiry into major tech players looking at investments and partnerships. And this is just another of a long string of actions by the FTC under the Biden administration to really crack down or attempt to crack down on some mon monopolistic endeavors or uh, actions by by the big tech names, especially as AI ethical concerns continue to elevate. Uh, there are different uh, business practices and management techniques that uh, they're certainly, uh, they're certainly uh, scrutinizing. And how will this impact the regulation of artificial intelligence over the long term? So we're going to touch on that. We just want to look at there at four big recession indicators. There are four main ones to follow. And two, a lot of people look at and two, I think less people focus on. So we're going to look at, uh, at, at that. Also, the recent route in Chinese stocks is being met by a potential rescue package, would you call it, Luke, out of China? Certainly, they're trying to rescue it. Yeah, and where that will come from will be very interesting, uh, meaning where, where will that money come from? So we're going to look at that. And then lastly, businesses and consumers, they're borrowing again, borrowing again. And a lot of people, I see this a lot, Luke, is people saying, oh my God, look at debt rising. There's this much credit card debt or there's, there's this much consumer debt or whatever. And they don't realize that's what the economy runs on. It comes, it runs on debt creation. So 
Uh, it's important to follow this, is how much debt is being created or potentially destroyed. So we're going to look at all of those topics, hopefully, as well as get to your voice bank questions. One is in regards to silver and one main financial. And since it's Monday, I will have a fresh perspective as well. Now, as we go to a break, let me remind you to check out our new Talk Classroom series titled Episode 16, The Residential Housing Market in 2024. Luke and I talk about the current market dynamics and offer some advice. Now, the phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. To get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. I'm 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. In today's market, more than ever, you need unbiased investing guidance because it can help you achieve financial freedom. Well, you've come to the right place, Invest Talk. And Justin Klein is here now taking your calls live. So step up with your questions, 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to James. He is in New York looking at 3M. You are looking to buy it. I'm looking to buy it. Pure bounce play. I don't know. It fell sharply last week. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's it's due for maybe uh, a slight bounce from that plummet. Well, yeah, it did have a pretty big drop on earnings. And if you're just looking as a bounce play, that there's nothing fundamental that you, that you really want to look at here. It's all technical. Uh, and it already kind of had a little bit of a bounce here. The area that I would have expected before this to, to bounce is right around where it consolidated in early November and then kind of broke out from there. And that was right around the 92 level. And that's pretty much where it bounced, right? 229. The low last week was 29.73. Now we're at, sorry, 92.73. Excuse me, 92.73. Um, and now we're at 96.38. Could there be more upside in the near term? So maybe 101. Yeah, maybe 5% upside, but you know, from a risk reward perspective, I don't, I don't love it. Um, you could use that recent low as an out, but that's about it. It gives you about equal upside and downside in my mind. So uh, as, as a trade, there's much better potential trades out there uh, than this. Um, you already had a, a little bit of bounce over the past few days, oversold bounce, and it could certainly languish here and, and then uh, break lower. So as a bounce or trade, I, I wouldn't try to play it at this point. Okay, thank you. Thanks for the call. 
That was 3M. And that it's important to understand what your goals are with each name. Sometimes you can play a trade from a technical perspective, and that can be fine if you understand your risk and reward. Typically, you want two or three more, three or two to three times more upside than you do downside because you want to have that out at some sort of support level. With this one, kind of one to one upside and downside, not a good risk versus reward. Now, let's play another caller question from 888 chart. Hi, Steve and Justin. I have a question about a company called One Main Holding, ticker symbol OMF. It recently got into my buy range, but I was just wondering what you guys thought of the company. Thank you so much for what you do, and have a great day. All right, Luke, One Main Financial, and this is a holding company engaged in non-prime consumer finance uh, companies. And let's see. It's one of a few companies in the consumer installment lending industry. So, uh, you know, they have other services, uh, credit cards, uh, non-credit insurance, servicing loans. They do M&A. They're kind of all over the place here. Uh, but the technicals look pretty solid. The dividend yields 8.2%. A lot of people, I think, are chasing after that uh, name. What I do like about this is that you're starting to see earnings growth after multiple quarters with earnings decline. Last quarter, earnings were up 8% year over year versus the previous quarter down 49% year over year. Uh, what do you think, Luke? A small name, about $5.8 billion market cap, worth the risk here? Yeah, I'm not too sure if it's worth the risk, especially because it's trading a little bit higher than its five-year average valuation multiples. I mean, their cash flow is good, right? Over the past two years, their cash flow has been steadily increasing. Their profitability's dipped a little bit in the past two years. Uh, you know, I think generally speaking, if you're going to try and hit towards some consumer finance company, I'd probably stay away from the small caps because in times of economic stress, they tend to have a lot more volatility and profitability and, and can go under. Uh, they have quite a bit of debt that that's, that's their business. I don't know. I, I, although it does look technically good, fundamentally, it, it looks, it looks fine, but it, it doesn't interest me that much if I'm being quite honest. Yeah, I, I think from a long-term perspective, these type of names tend to vacillate wildly from uh, profit to loss. And you know, you're know, you talking about non-prime borrowers. And when unemployment's low, and by all most measures, the consumer balance sheet is relatively strong, uh, this type of name looks fine. And the technicals look fine. It just had a refresh down to the 50-day moving average, and now it's moving back up from there. Uh, and, and kind of consolidating this recent move, I'm fine with that. So I don't have any issues kind of near term, three, six, 12 months potentially. But, you know, you get into a recessionary environment, which doesn't look like it's on the horizon, you know, very soon. But, you know, that's where these type of names tend to get in trouble is the, uh, the chickens come home to roost at some point. Um, and in the non-prime market, there are a lot of those chickens that are underneath the surface that do uh, come to the forefront when the economic times are rough. So, you know, as a trade near term, short to medium term, fine. But as a long term hold, uh, I think this would do not very well in a tough economic environment near, during the next downturn. Now, we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime. Leave your questions on the Talk Voice Bank. If you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call net right now at 888-99-CHART. 
Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Now let's talk a bit about the market today, Luke. It was a decidedly positive day and definitely the growth side of the market took off. SoFi was up 20% today, Lucid up 27%, although that's been struggling for a while. Same with Tesla up 4% today, and that's been uh, the worst performer of the MAG7, if you want to call it MAG, uh, this year. I think it was down before today in the mid-teens on the year. Um, so you know, Bitcoin uh, recovered, Amazon up 1%, Apple was slightly down, uh, but very interesting day uh, the, the main news, however, was the Treasury quarterly refunding announcement. It was uh, announced at uh, noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, and it was really about whether or not the government is going to borrow more or less than the market, more or less than the market had expected, and it was a little bit less, at least their plans for the first and second quarter of this year. Now, the big news will be on Wednesday and of not just how much they're going to borrow, but whether they're gonna borrow more short-term T-bills or more long-term notes. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see uh, how the market reacts to that. But so far, at least today, the market reacted very positively to both earnings and that treasury funding announcement. Any uh, any thoughts on your end? No, just that this certainly is a big, a big macro week, FOMC meeting uh, on Wednesday, consumer confidence, ISM manufacturing and employment data all coming out towards the end of the week. So, you know, a lot of this uh, earnings driven rally, we'll see how, how strong and how resilient it can be on the most uh, up to date economic data that we'll see later this week. Yep. Big, big week for really, it's, it's all about Fed policy, Fed and Treasury policy, actually, they're kind of a uh, Duly important in today's highly indebted economy. Now let's go to Sammy in San Francisco. Wants to talk about Lyft. Hi Justin, thanks for taking my call. Um, sure. I purchased Lyft back when it was uh, trading around fifty dollars, mm-hmm. and uh, since then it has taken a big hit. Mm-hmm. I'm still holding on to those shares. I wanted to ask you what your opinion is. Should I dump and run, or just kind of keep holding them? Well, the main issue I think with Lyft is the poor profitability that it's it's historically had. Uh, It's free cash flow is negative and has always been negative. Yeah, it's never had a positive free cash flow uh, year. And that's an issue, especially in an environment of higher cost of capital. They've been just burning money. And the number of shares outstanding continues to power ever higher. They had less they had about 290 million shares outstanding in 2019. And now they have 393 million shares outstanding. So they've diluted shareholders over the last few years uh, to the tune of one third. And that's not anything you really want to see. Uh, but and so to me, this is kind of your I call it the Ponzi economy, Ponzi stock that tends to uh, have issues in uh, while interest rates are are, are something now. They're not sitting at rock bottom. Um, Now, the technicals, I will say, are making some progress from the lows last May. But I don't know, Luke, do you you think you should wait for this near term strength and sell into it? Or should he be quick to pick up bait? Because I think at some point he has to he has to sell this. (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, the technicals can do what the technicals want to do, but at its core, the fundamentals just aren't there. This this yeah. business has never made money. It's I don't see how it can start ma- turning a profit like Uber was able to. It doesn't have the market share. It therefore doesn't have the ability to um, to innovate within within its own industry. I, I think holding on to this company is is losing out on an opportunity to invest in something else. So if it were me, I would I would just get rid of it. Yeah, it depends on if you have something else to put that money in. If you have a good idea, remember you have to be picky with your capital, right? And if you have a something else that you probably have more confidence in, this is a good place to to get that capital from, sell out, and move on. Thanks for the call. Now, let's first touch on what our main focus point will be for today. And we'll get to really digging into it uh, at the other side of this break. But look, our main focus point is in regards to the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission. And they are now launching an inquiry to the major AI players and looking into things like investments and partnerships. And this is from Lena Khan, the chairman of the FTC. And this is nothing new. She's already tried to crack down on the prescription drug uh, industry, the middlemen within the prescription drug industry. And that was in 2022. In 2020, uh, kind of their, their first order of business of the new administration was to uh, focus on the big tech players, Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and uh, about their acquisitions to kind of basically pluck off the the small players and prevent any other up-and-comers from taking their market share. Think of what Facebook did with Instagram early on. And they a lot of these tech names did that across various parts of their business. Um, with less high profile acquisitions. But I think that's what they're focusing on here is what are these big players doing right now to prevent the true competition from emerging within the AI space and see how many of them are trying to consolidate a monopoly power there. So on the other side of the break, we're going to dig into the story a little bit more. But in the next Invest Talk, we'll look into this story. The Fed's favorite inflation gauge rose 0.2% in December, up 2.9% from a year ago. That story tomorrow, but for now, we're ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity, or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools, 
to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com, HackerOne.com. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Now, before we went to the break, Justin, you kind of kicked off the conversation about this new FTC inquiry that Lena Khan uh, launched uh, into AI developers and major cloud service providers. Now, it's important to reiterate that this isn't a, isn't a criminal inquiry, but rather a civil one, which allows them to really force companies' hands in filing specific reports, answering questions, in writing about their businesses, and kind of provide a broad outlook on how they are operating, which I think you and I both would agree, and, and most investors would agree, is important in uh, new industries, right? So when the, when the rules aren't there, you kind of have to figure out what's going on before you can govern it effectively. And really, for me, like you said, the Biden administration has been more aggressive in terms of its anti-monopoly stance than maybe previous administrations over the past several decades. But I think this really goes to the heart of the level of complexity with trying to figure out monopolies within the tech space. So when you think about the laws and how they were written and when they were written, it was really to go after your, your standard oils, right? You were looking at companies that monopolized production and were able to price gouge and price set and, and stifle innovation. And when you're a producer of things and you have that type of business, that's really easy to identify. Standard oil was really easy to identify as a monopoly. But that's a little more complex, right, in, in today's environment. So Google, Far for example... Far more complex. Google has the monopoly, monopoly, I even said it there. Google has the largest capture in terms of search, right? So it's difficult in that a lot of these companies have the power to stave off competition before they happen. Google knows what you're searching when you're trying to build to something that will compete with them. But also you don't have the hurt part towards the uh, consumer that you did back in the day in terms of price gouging. Amazon has made goods cheaper for buyers. So you don't really have the complaint aspect of that as well. So I see a little complexity here, just as I did before, in terms of identifying how these people may be manipulating the market. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. It, 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 as technology ramps up and becomes ever more complex and everything's run by algorithms and AI in this case, uh, it's harder to decipher what the true swing factors are. Um, but I think one main one everybody within the industry is going to agree on is data. And we know big data is very important, but in AI, it's even more important because that's what these AI models work off of. They work off a large set of data. So if you can control that data and you're the only one that has access to that data, then suddenly you can build AI tools that are 
better than the next. So I think that's what will be interesting here is what are these companies doing to potentially prevent their competitors from getting their hands on similar size data sets? And, uh, uh, and, and I think that will, that, that should be the swing factor in, uh, understanding this, uh, whether or not a company is doing things that are anti-competitive because if everyone's working off the same data, then it's about the algorithm. It's about finding the right employees. It's about all the things that are uh, fairly fair in competitive in, in the competitive uh, marketplace. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where this comes out. But it also shows you there is increasing risk with these names and the whole AI craze um, that will will need to be watched. Now, one thing I think is being under discussed is and even says this in this complaint it looks at amazon alphabet microsoft anthropic and open ai and a name that is notoriously missing is apple and if you actually study what apple apple is working on this but nobody's talking to them about them as an ai play and i think if they can make siri more uh more like chat GPT, uh, you know, they can plug in a large language model uh, into Siri, they could easily be the dominant player in AI, uh, especially if you can run these systems on your phone. So you don't need huge hardware uh, applications or, you know, or huge hardware um, uh, in inputs um, or infrastructure, excuse me, uh, like NVIDIA. Uh, and Everyone has one in their pocket, so they don't need to go to a chat GPT after that. What are your thoughts on that as a potential next theme in AI? Yeah, no, that certainly is interesting. You know, it's this, Siri is, I think, what people understand a large language model to be, and that it's it's a neural network. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, employed a long time before chat GPT. I think the the benefit to Apple's ability to corner this market should they choose is that large language models are successful because of the communication of the neural network they can they can operate on different mobile on different devices and communicate with each other in terms of the results they're finding that's obviously a very simplified way of explaining what's going on there um but because of the market share they have in the cell phone space that's an incredible way for them to grow um, yeah. So I, I, it is a surprise to me, as I imagine it was to you as well, that that Apple's not being uh, considered in, in one of these lists. So, um, I mean, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens there. The, a lot of these, a lot of these companies have some pretty big P, PR firms, and I saw Google made some shots across the bow at really at Microsoft when it was talking about companies that may have already been investigated for monopolies. Uh, throwback to the 1990s. So I imagine at some point somebody's going to bring up Apple's name, and I wouldn't be surprised if they get swept up in this as well. Yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see as time goes on and as the S&P is now a third. I heard this stat. The S&P right now is a third, the MAG7, and or was it tech? Yeah, sorry, it was technology, about a third in technology. And technology as a share GDP is only 8% of the economy. Um, So it's becoming more and more 
unhinged from the realities of the overall economy. Uh, and that puts a lot of risk on those valuations and the potential for the potential for the um, uh, regulators to uh, upend the, you know, those trends there. So we'll be on the watch for that. Now let's go to Luke in Wisconsin looking at FLMX, which is the Franklin FTSE Mexico ETF. You looking to buy it or do you own it? Hey, Justin and Luke, I'm, uh, I'm looking to buy this one. Um, Justin, I know you always uh, talk about the strong demographics in Mexico, and I just want your opinion on this fund in particular to, to play that trend. And also, I just have a question on if the influx of illegal immigration in the southern border is uh, changing or affecting your thesis on this at all. Thank you. Well, looking at um, this ETF, uh, and Luke can get into the details of it, and I'll I'll, I'll just mention, uh, I'll just talk about that, that last comment. Um, and the simple answer is no, I, I don't really think that that changes anything. Uh, you know, there, there's there's obviously uh, issues at, at the border. There have been for a long time, and we can argue whether they're getting worse or better, or who knows. But uh, what isn't really changing too much is are the demographics of Mexico and the fact that companies here in the United States who have historically exported production to China are increasingly looking at their next installment base of production to happen closer to home whether that is here domestically or in Mexico. And, uh, you know, Mexican labor is certainly cheaper than it is here. And so if they can find the right workers, they're increasingly trying, increasingly doing that. You know, they're, they're increasingly setting up production there. So I don't think those trends are overall shifting. Uh, what will be more important, frankly, than any crisis at the border for Mexico uh, has to do with the cartels. You know, are they increasing their power or are there, is their power being reduced? Uh, and I think over time, if the private sector can continue to grow, then the, that will crowd out the operations uh, of the cartels. So, uh, but, but Luke, what do you think about this particular ETF? Yeah, I mean, looking at it, it looks fine. Franklin Templeton's been doing this doing this for a long time. It's a market cap weighted fund, kind of. So they started as making it market cap weighted, and then they actually put a hard cap on the amount that any individual name can be. So that's oh, good. Like it means that. that it more it more broadly diversifies the fund itself. It also excludes small caps, which I think is probably fine. Uh, in the mm-hmm. U.S., small caps great thing to invest in. Maybe internationally, especially in Mexico, might not be might not be as safe if you're just trying to get some 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 exposure to the Mexican market. The top ten names make up only sixty five percent of the fund because of that cap, and it holds about thirty nine names. So it's it's pretty well diversified. About fifty percent large caps. About thirty percent. Mid caps, they're probably holding a little bit in cash as well. Um, it seems like a like a like a fine fund. Its expense ratio is only about nineteen basis points for an international fund in Mexico. That's not that bad. And you know, just to reiterate Justin's point as well about the the border situation, one thing to keep in mind is that a lot of that, or really most of that, is not Mexican citizens, right? It's people coming from South America and other parts of the world. It's not so much a critique on on the Mexican economic situation as it is people trying to get to the United States. So um, I wouldn't let that detract you from from investing uh, in Mexico and this this seems to be fine fine to me what do you think Justin yeah and I, I like that 19 basis points that's pretty cheap for a 
Yeah, no, it is a foreign ETF like this. So I'll yeah. give it uh, probably because they kicked up. out the small caps. If I had to guess, yeah. Well, let's uh, touch quickly on the potential of a recession, and there are typically four main indicators that you should follow when looking at whether or not we're heading into recession. Now, the two main ones most people focus on are non-farm employment. You get that at the beginning of every month. And then retail sales. That's something uh, everyone's following, the strength of the consumer. And the other two are, I think, less followed. One is industrial production. I know us professionals, we certainly uh, follow that. Uh, but the other is real personal income, excluding transfer receipts. And that is showing you, you know, the average person actually working in the productive economy, what type of growth and income they are currently having. Now, right now, the real personal income growth was up 0.2% month over month in December. And that put it at 3.1% year over year. So positive, nicely positive. So really no issues on that front. However, the level is pretty low. Real personal income year over year is currently at, at or below the level at the start of five of the, of the last nine recessions since 1959. So it's kind of middling number here, Luke. It's not showing you that we're heading to recession or that we're going to uh, skirt a recession. So you kind of have to look at uh, those other figures. And we know the jobs number is relatively strong. Retail sales also relatively strong. And industrial production, that's where probably the biggest weakness has been. And historically, the two leading indicators of recession are the retail sales and industrial production, which I would say of these four, Luke, they they're the weakest. So to me, it is showing that we are in a late stage cycle, late stage of the cycle, but not necessarily imminently sliding into recession. No, I, I certainly would agree with that. I think that it is very difficult because there are so many different indicators and so much that goes into determining if we are in a recession rather than just, you know, localized uh contraction in specific markets, um, that it becomes a little overwhelming. Certainly six months after it started, it's really easy to know we were in one. Um, yeah. but it, it's pretty difficult to determine the future. Obviously it's, it's, if we had a crystal ball, we'd be, we'd be all, we'd be all a lot better off. But I think that, that, that focusing on indicators that look at the key drivers of the economy, i.e. what a consumer is able to to spend consumer spending um, is is a good good starting point. Yeah, and real retail sales tends to decline off of its high about a year before a recession, historically. And right now, while the growth of retail sales is not amazing, it's still at an all time high. So we haven't seen that shrink. So I think that's the first indicator that while yes, we might be late in the cycle we're probably still at least six to 12 months away from a recession. And uh, I wanted to highlight that because it, it's really important to have that perspective and understand what are the typical drivers, what's drivers of a recession, what's leading and what's lagging. And 
the non-farm employment as well as the consumer spending, um, that tends to, sorry, uh, the uh, personal income, those two tend to be more lagging as opposed to industrial production and retail sales tend to be more leading into a recession. Um, And, but none of these right now are screaming a warning sign. Um, And that's why it's hard to really get too bearish on the economy because there's really no credit event on the horizon that would precipitate major declines in asset prices um, or recession. Now, listen, Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here each and every weekday, and that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart Let's take a quick look at your financial to-do list. At the top, make that phone call to the Invest Talk Anytime Listener Line, 888-99-CHART. Yeah, this is James from Georgia. Guys, I just saw a very a commercial, very compelling about silver. It's from Lear Capital. And it had this one gentleman and he was wearing these glasses, very, very smart looking. And he stated unequivocally that he likes silver. So what do I do? Do I buy a big old chunk of silver and stick it in the basement? Is that what I'm supposed to do? If, you know, if, if there's all this uh, like and love for silver, I'll listen to the podcast and wait for your answer. We really enjoy the show. Well, certainly the ad was effective um, if you saw it. And uh, we thank you for asking us for our advice. Now, I think it's important to note, you know, a lot of people look at precious metals uh, as a good commodity to invest in. So maybe let's start by talking about kind of the differences between gold and silver, right? Gold, that safe haven asset. Silver tends to be more volatile, a little bit less liquid. Um, if you're talking about investing it, not just buying it and putting it in your basement, but it also has, you know, higher industrial demand compared to gold. So when times are booming, silver prices when they're in demand, tend to have more benefit. But if times are tough, gold tends to be a better place to store your uh, store your uh, value. What do you What do you think, Justin? Well, I think the first lesson here is never make an investment decisions decision because some guy said it loudly and confidently on a te- television screen, or on a laptop, or on your phone, or on YouTube, or whatever. Right? That that's not a process for making an investment decision. There, any ad is going to have somebody that hopefully uh, is uh, very confident and says it that in a way that will get buy-in from the people that view it. Uh, but that doesn't make it a good investment or the right investment for you. Uh, so that shouldn't be a, a reason for you to buy or sell something. Um, but you're right, Luke, that precious metals, they can be great stores of value long term. Holding gold is a good hedge against inflation, but not something that you should uh, go wild for. Um, uh, there's nothing wrong with owning gold and silver as a part of a diversified portfolio. Actually, I like gold and silver long term. But do you need to own physical, Luke, and put it in your basement? You know, I think that's a play on the entire system kind of come crashing down, which 
you, you know, have bigger I, problems. Than, you have bigger than problems. Needing to get to your physical silver, if the whole exactly. And are you going to take that chunk of silver and carry it across town and barter with, you know, somebody? You can turn it food? into tools. You can't. You can't turn silver forwards into tools. Uh, if I guess if you're a blacksmith, you could. <laughs> um, so I, I always think it's a little far fetched to me that you need the physical. And then you have the potential of that getting lost or stolen as well, uh, which I don't like. Uh, I think that's probably a higher risk than the whole financial system crashing. But if you want to own a little bit, nothing wrong with that. Now, lastly, look, let's talk a little about the Chinese government trying to help the equity markets there reverse course. And one thing that I think is very interesting is that they are trying to deploy about $278 billion. And they're mainly going to be doing this from offshore accounts. And I think this could pose potential risk for the economy here, not for, for asset markets, excuse me, uh, in the near term domestically, because a lot of those assets are here domestically. Uh, if they start selling treasuries, if they start t- selling equities that they might own, that could potentially put some pressure on asset prices lower. What are your thoughts? It could. It certainly could. And I think it shouldn't be understated how important that point is, just given how far China's property sector has fallen. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, they're liquidating and, Evergrande now, right? Yeah, they are. And continues to fall. You know, the property sector at one point was a quarter of the Chinese economy. Yeah. So if they're getting serious about it to the point where they want global money managers to start wanting to allocate positively to China again, they're going to have to spend some some serious yuan in order to get this done. And they hold a lot of U.S. assets. So I would certainly say that should they be serious about it, that could be bad news for, for short-term bond prices. Yeah, it could be bad short-term for the dollar, right? If they're getting the, trying to get their hands on yuan, they would be selling dollar assets and then transferring yep. that into yuan and then uh, so I think that's a pretty interesting little aspect to watch as we go through the first half of this year and they tried to bail out their markets. Now, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Carrero, and this completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.